This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. I would like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We'll be looking this morning at verses 10 through 17. Matthew chapter 13, in a chapter that is largely filled with parables. Our passage today is not a parable, but it is about parables. Matthew 13, we'll begin reading in verse 10. Hear the word of God. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, uh, their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let us pray. Our Father, we stagger to think that this book we hold in our hands is your word, and that the printed words here come from you and convey your authority. Uh, Father, we do not sit in judgment on your word to evaluate its truthfulness and reliability and worth, but rather it sits in judgment over us to evaluate us by your character, to evaluate us by your truth. And so, Father, as we come to your word, we do so in submission and pray that it would search our hearts. Pray, Father, that it would examine our lives. And most of all, Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, together with your word, that you would feed our souls, that you would uh, bring about life and grow uh, spiritual life in our hearts, that by your word and by your spirit we would grow to maturity in Christ and be more like our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. As Christians, we tend to take the parables for granted. After all, many of us grew up hearing in Sunday school the parables that Jesus taught. We've uh, perhaps heard them preached, maybe in series, uh, preached by uh, 
pastors who, like most believers, enjoy the parables, find them interesting and engaging. Uh, parables are simple, after all, right? Or are they? What makes something a parable? Is a parable a simple story with a moral? Or is it an allegory where every detail has some significant spiritual meaning? Does the parable make one point? Or does it make many points? Why are the parables associated primarily with Jesus and his ministry? Think about it. Uh, You don't find too many parables in other places in Scripture. Uh, Last week, I believe it was, we read the parable of the vineyard from Isaiah chapter 5. But you really don't find parables like that too frequently in Scripture, and yet Jesus' teaching is full of them. And it's it's a form of teaching that we tend to associate specifically with Jesus' ministry. And Jesus' own disciples noticed that he used parables And in fact, although to this point in in the chapter, he's told only one parable, the parable of the sower, which we examined last week. uh, They asked Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? So evidently, this question, even though it comes in the middle of the chapter, apparently may have come after these parables were taught, or at least after Jesus had been teaching to the crowd in parables. And that gets the disciples' attention. They say, why do you speak to them in parables? And notice they say, to them. Now, they were part of of the crowd that was gathered there, but it seems that the disciples particularly notice that Jesus teaches this way to the crowds, and maybe less so, if at all, to his own disciples. In fact, we saw last week how Jesus himself explains to his disciples the parable of the sower. And so they notice, and they say, Jesus, why do you talk in this way, through these parables, to the crowd? Well, that's an important question. Not just for Jesus' disciples to understand then, but for us to understand now. Uh, Because Jesus spoke so frequently in parables, you and I need to understand the purpose of Jesus' parables. Now, we could say, well, uh, one purpose might be to illustrate, after all, the word parable itself, if you break down the Greek word into its parts, has the idea of throwing alongside of. You know, you sometimes read in books on preaching or, or on teaching, the need to illustrate you know, to tell a story, to kind of illustrate the point that, that, that demonstrates the truth you're trying to make. And there's, there's, there is value in that, great value in that. Uh, and they'll point to Jesus' parables. See, Jesus threw alongside his teaching these parables to illustrate and explain what he's saying. But is that what Jesus is really doing with the parables? Are they mere illustrations to accompany his teaching? In fact, sometimes the parable is the teaching with no clearly stated truth that it's illustrating. It itself is, is the truth that is being taught. Because Jesus uses this form, we need to understand the purpose that Jesus himself had in mind for his parables. And basically, Jesus used parables to accomplish two tasks. First task that Jesus was accomplishing when he used parables, according to what he himself here says, is that Jesus spoke in parables to reveal truth. Jesus used parables, he spoke in parables in order to reveal truth. And we see this especially in verses 11 and 12 and then later in 16 and 17. Look at uh, verse 11. They ask, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them. To you, to his disciples, to those who were following him, it has been given 
to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And again in verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. You see, Jesus taught in parables indeed to reveal and explain truth about himself and about the kingdom he had come to inaugurate and to bring into effect and to expand in the world. But the parables didn't necessarily reveal by themselves. It required a gift. It required a gift from God for the parables to accomplish the purpose of revealing of making known kingdom truth. Uh, uh, Matthew tells us here, as Jesus is speaking in, in verse 11, that to perceive truth in the parables is a divine gift. Look at verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the secrets, some translations, mystery, uh, is a little bit of a difficult word because in English we think of, of mysteries or even secrets here as something perhaps different from what Jesus had in mind. We think of a mystery as, as, as something to be solved. You know, it's a game of clue or it's a mystery uh, movie or program or book uh, where you have to solve the riddle and find out who done it at the end. Well, biblically, the mystery Jesus uses and as Paul uses, it tends to have to do with a the right current understanding of old prophecies or old truth, how that now applies in Jesus' day. Uh, for example, the, the idea of the inclusion of the nations, the Gentiles in, in the kingdom, in the church, was not unknown even in the Old Testament. Even Abraham was to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, however, in Jesus' ministry and later in the book of Acts, with the inclusion of Gentiles, that was, it was difficult for the Jews to understand that and see that. And so it's described as a mystery. Paul describes that as a mystery. God's including the Gentiles and the covenant people of God. So when Jesus uses the term mystery or secrets here, he's not talking about some esoteric hidden knowledge uh, or something like that or a mystery to be solved. But he's talking about the right current understanding of God's old truth and how that's applying in the present day. Well, Jesus says to you, it's been given to understand what's going on with the kingdom. Now notice, has been given. By whom? I think that's what we would call a divine passive. It's been given to you. Who gave it is not stated, but in the context it's understood that it's been given to you by God. God himself has given you the ability to understand the secrets of the kingdom. Now, we need to recognize that to understand the parables, to understand any of Jesus' truth, is a divine gift. It's something that God grants to us. We see this powerfully in John chapter 6. If you want to turn over to John 6, Jesus is teaching, and he says this and makes it very clear. In John chapter 6, verse 44, and Jesus is teaching, he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, wait a minute, this is Joseph. We know who he is, son of Joseph. We know who he is, we know where he came from. What's he mean, I'm the bread that came down from heaven? And Jesus says in verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come unless the Father draws that person to Jesus. And then later in the same chapter, verse 65, Jesus is talking, and again, there's some grumbling. People take offense at his teaching. And Jesus says in verse 65, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father unless it's given him, unless the Father has enabled him or given him 
the ability to believe. And in fact, Paul says that, doesn't he, in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. Well, what is the gift of God? Well, salvation generally, but it includes even the faith by which we believe. God has granted us to believe in Christ. And so what Jesus is saying here to his disciples is to the degree that you understand We need to recognize that they had asked Jesus to explain the parable. But insofar as they understood it and received the truth it was teaching, Jesus said, it has been given you, granted you by my Father to understand and to believe. There certainly wasn't anything in the disciples. There was no special merit on their part. uh, Certainly no unique intelligence. Uh, They themselves struggled to understand what Jesus was teaching, what he was doing, struggle to overcome their own uh, inaccurate assumptions about the kingdom and about Jesus and the Messiah and what his ministry would be like. It wasn't that they were smarter than anyone else. It wasn't that they were more righteous than anyone else. It was simply that the Father had granted them to believe, had given it to them to believe in Jesus. And so... To perceive truth in Jesus' parables, as in all his teaching, is a divine gift, but Jesus tells us it's an increasing gift. Look again at verse 12. Jesus says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. If you study the the Gospels, you'll see that that expression, that the one who has, more will be given, the one who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away, occurs in other places. It occurs, for example, in the parable of the talents, where Jesus is teaching about the one who was given the one talent, the five talents, the ten talents. And he the person with the ten makes ten more, the person with the five doubles it. But the person with the one just buried it and hid it, right? And uh, says, I, I, I you know, preserved your talent for you. And the master, upon his return, is displeased with that servant. And he says, take, take the one talent that he has and give it to the one who has ten. For to the one who has, more will be given. To him who does not have, what he has will be taken away. Again, uh, in, in Mark, uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 25, parable of the lamp under the bushel, under the basket that Jesus tells, uh, the same words apply. Well, what's Jesus saying? Well, to the one to whom the Father has granted to believe and understand the parables, that, to, that, to that truth, even more truth will be given. It is an increasing gift. It's not as though we suddenly have it all and there's no more to be learned or no more truth to be appropriated or applied in our lives. But it is given in increasing measure as we take what God has given us and believe it and act on it and live by it. God gives us more truth. Um, We'll look at the flip side of that in just a minute. But the point is that we need to make use of what we have. The one who has truth and we believe it, we learn it, we uh Absorb it into ourselves. We seek by God's grace to be obedient. Uh, first obedience, of course, is to believe in Christ and trust in him as our Savior. Uh, more truth will be given. But also, as Jesus teaches that the, the parables are to reveal truth, it's a God-given thing, uh, it's also a delightful gift. It is a gift. It's a gift divine from the Father. It's a gift that increases, but it's also a, a most delightful gift. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes. He's coming back to his disciples. We'll look at the Isaiah quote here in just a minute. But coming back to his disciples, he says, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Um, That's an indication of divine favor. It's an indication of, of a happy condition, of a felicitous condition. 
that they see. You know, when Jesus would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, as he said at the end of the parable of the sower, that's not just a nice way to wrap off the, 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 and conclude the parable. He's speaking about a profound spiritual reality. Yes, everybody had ears. They could hear Jesus speaking. You know, the sound waves were working on their eardrums, and it went to their brains, and they heard him speaking in Aramaic. But did they really hear what he was saying? Jesus isn't just saying, if you got, you know, two of these things on your head, listen. He's saying the person who has ears in his soul that God has given, who in his heart is able to understand personally, spiritually, what I'm saying. Let him receive the truth that I'm teaching, because not everybody could. But Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are you. You know, there, there were plenty of prophets and righteous people who longed to hear the kinds of things you are hearing. Straight from the lips of the Messiah. But they didn't hear it. You're hearing it. And more importantly, you're hearing it. And you are blessed. Dear friends, the fact that you were here this morning, if you have believed in Christ, if you love the truth of Scripture, if you read it, if you hear it taught, if you hear it preached, and it is food for your soul, and it is a delight to your mind, you are, above all people, most blessed. Because there have been people who have sat in these very seats, who have sat here and listened and gone away, shaking their heads. Heard the same thing you did and said, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I don't want it. Blessed are you. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. It is a happy gift if God has given you to understand the gospel and believe in Christ and receive his teaching. You are, above all people in this world, most blessed. Now, Jesus did teach the parables to reveal truth, and it is a gift to receive truth in the parables, a divine gift, one that increases as we take the truth and put it to work, and it is a delightful gift that the Father has given. But Jesus also had another purpose for the parables. Uh, It's not the only reason to reveal truth. In fact, in this passage, it's not even the main reason. Jesus' other reason in teaching in parables was to conceal truth. It was to hide. It was to conceal truth. Look at verse 11 again. The parables expose our blindness. And this is what Jesus says in verse 11. To you, to his disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But to them, and again, remember the disciples say, why do you speak in parables to them? Well, Jesus says to them, to the crowds, at least many of them, it has not been given. You see, blindness in the face of parables, in the face of Jesus' teaching, is a result of divine withholding. It's not that they're dumber. It's not that they're morally deficient. It's that they are spiritually dead, and therefore they are spiritually blind. Jesus says, to them it has not been given. God has given it to you, to the disciples, but to them it has not been given to understand the things of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said that. You know, well, preacher, you're just a Presbyterian. You know, you just think God feels... Well, I didn't say this. I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus said. To them it has not been given. That is the doctrine of reprobation. 
You know, we talk about predestination, God electing those to eternal life whom he will, not based on anything in them, but of his mere good pleasure. Well, God also, also, and pretty much by definition with predestination, reprobate, reprobates those, passes over those he does not choose to life. Now, they're in their sins. They're lost because they have disobeyed his law. They are in their sins in rebellion against God. But God passes them over. They are reprobate. Uh, they are appointed to eternal life by the fact, or eternal death by the fact that God has not chosen them to eternal life. Uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in this chapter, though we could, but really I think Romans 9 is one of the clearest uh, explanations of this truth that we're going to find in Scripture of what, what Jesus is saying here. Uh, in Romans 9, Verse 16, uh, Paul says it depends not on human will, not on exertion, not on you know, what you can do that you are saved, but on God who has mercy. Verse 17, the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raise you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. I've just recently been re- well, I'm still reading in Exodus, recently reading through the, the plagues. It's a fascinating study to go through and, and note the different ways that Pharaoh responds, and it'll say Pharaoh hardened his heart. Or it'll say Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Or it will say God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, it was certainly Pharaoh's recalcitrance at work, but it was also God's divine purpose at work to demonstrate his power through Pharaoh's stubbornness and changes of mind. God has mercy on him he wants to. He hardens him he wants to. Verse 22, Romans 9. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, to make his known, known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he's prepared beforehand for his glory? Well, he's just talking about Israel, right? No, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. You see, Paul uses Jacob and Esau as an illustration, but he's just not talking about ethnic Israel. He's talking about his Gentile readers whom God has chosen to eternal life. And so Jesus says to you, my disciples, it's been granted to know by my Father. But to them, it has not been so granted. It's not that they're not intelligent. It's not that they're not educated, many of them. It's not that they're not in many ways morally righteous people. It's they are dead in their sins, and the Father has not chosen to raise them out of that condition. That's what Jesus is saying here. Blindness in the face of his parables is a result of divine withholding. But not only that, Jesus goes on in verse 12 to say, blindness in the face of his parables only gets darker. Just as the light of his revelation grows and gets brighter, more luminous, So the blindness only gets darker. Look at verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But from the one who does not, who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is a person perhaps who's who's hearing the truth outwardly. and, and, And what little they have, even that outward exposure to the truth, eventually is taken away. So that they don't even have, don't even have that. You see, the blindness only gets darker. The more they reject God's truth, the darker the blindness. In verse 13 and 14, blindness in the face of the parables only aggravates 
the blindness. Now, the word aggravate is interesting because we tend to use it to mean irritate or annoy. You know, he really aggravates me. It really aggravates me when the preacher preaches on predestination. Well, I hope not. It's a wonderful biblical truth, but that's what we mean. We tend to use it to mean annoy or irritate. The word actually means to make worse. The the filthy conditions aggravated his illness. It made it worse. It it provoked it. It it spurred it on to become even even, even, even worse. Uh, That's what aggravate means. Uh, And so when we talk about Jesus' truth aggravating the blindness, that's what we mean. It makes it worse. The very fact that raw truth is staring them in the face and they can't get it, only aggravates their blindness. And in fact, it is a judgment upon them that they can see the truth and not respond. Look at what Jesus says, verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus said, that's why I do it, because I can speak the truth to them in the face, and they don't get it. They don't see it. And then he goes on to quote the prophecy from Isaiah. And he says this is a fulfillment of what Isaiah said in verses 14 and 15 here. They have a perception problem. Verse 14. They hear but never understand. They see but never perceive. Just as the Jews in Isaiah's day, and what a ministry. God said, he'll go. Isaiah says, I'll go. Send me. And he says, go to them and you're going to preach to them, but they're never going to understand. It was a ministry of judgment. You see, God's truth either saves you or it judges you. It saves you if you hear it and by God's grace respond to it in faith. It judges you if you hear it and reject it. Well, the same problem in Jesus' day and as we saw in Paul's day. As Mike read from Acts 28, Paul himself cites this passage from Isaiah 6 to explain those who would not respond to the gospel. There were those who did, but there were those who didn't. And Paul says that's a fulfillment of this passage. Same as in Jesus' day. So they have a perception problem because they have a heart problem. Look at verse 15. For, here's the explanation, this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Notice the active work. They've closed their eyes. They're, They're complicit in this. They're guilty. There's a There's a heart problem here. They're in rebellion against God. Now, we need to recognize we've talked about God's giving or withholding the gift of receiving the gospel to believe. But we need to recognize there's a human side to it, too. There's both. There's both God's sovereignty over who is saved, but there's also our responsibility to respond to the gospel when we hear it. And what Isaiah says is they have a heart problem. They close their eyes. They reject God's truth. They've heard it, but they turned away from it. They rejected it. They have a perception problem because they have a heart problem. And ultimately, they have a salvation problem. Look at the second part of chapter 15, or verse 15. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You see, there is this aspect of God's working. You say, well, how can God hold them accountable if he didn't give it to them to believe? Paul deals with that argument, by the way, that objection in Romans 9. He says, who are you to talk back to God? 
But there is the human. They are responsible. There's a human side of it. They are responsible for the rejection of the gospel. And salvation is at stake here. You know, if they would see, if they would hear, if they would turn, I would heal them. You say, well, that's interesting. You know, it sounds like you're talking out both sides of your mouth. God chooses who will be saved. God gives it to them to be saved. But on the other hand, if they would turn and be saved, he would forgive them. He would heal them. Well, I'm in good company. Look back at John chapter 6. Because it's both. John chapter 6, verse 37. Wonderful verse, I think, that Jesus gave us in his teaching to help us hold those two ideas, both God's sovereignty over salvation and human responsibility to respond and be saved together. Look at verse 37, John 6, 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now let's look at that. All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's the divine side. That people whom the Father has given to the Son, whom the Son won through his death and resurrection, they will, every one of them, come to Jesus. That's God's side of it. God's sovereignly saving his own sheep. But the flip side of that is true. It doesn't contradict it. It's true together with it. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Anyone who wants to repent of his sin and believe in the gospel will be saved. Jesus won't say, well, I'm sorry, you know, Father didn't give you to me. You can't believe me saved. The fact is, the person who does respond and come is one who was given by the Father. So both sides, the divine side and the human side, are true, and Jesus holds them together, I think, in a wonderful way in that verse. All that the Father gives me will, in fact, without fail, come to me. And the one who hears the gospel and responds and wants to come to Jesus and be saved, he will never cast away. Both are true and both fit together. You see, the fulfillment of the prophecy, the people have a perception problem, they have a heart problem, and ultimately they have a salvation problem because salvation is on the line. Their eternal well-being is at stake. And that's why Jesus taught in parables. He taught to reveal truth to those who can receive it, but he also taught to conceal truth from those who would not receive it and so increase their judgment, aggravate and, and bring attention to their, their very blindness. Well, what are we to do with this? Let me leave you with two points of application as we close. First of all, I would ask you, does the word of God, parables included, make sense to you? And when I ask that, I mean on an intellectual level. I remember talking with someone who, uh, who, before, who after his conversion said, you know, I knew the Bible and I read the Bible, and it just it didn't seem to communicate anything. And after I became, became a Christian, it's amazing how it all makes sense. Does it make sense to you just mentally, intellectually, but more importantly, does it make sense to you personally? Is it for you personally compelling that I am a sinner? That God sent a Savior for me and that I need to believe in Him so that I will be saved and I will not be under the judgment of God in hell forever. Not just intellectually detached understanding, but personally gripping, compelling truth. This is, this is what I need. And so that I believe in Jesus, I'm following Jesus in faith. Does the Word of God, the parables included, makes sense to you. Now, that's not to say there aren't parts of the parables or parts of the Scripture that aren't hard to understand. There are. 
But the overall message of the Bible, and, and actually the gist of most of the passages in the Bible, are fairly plain and can be understood. Do you understand it? Do they make sense to you in an intellectual way and in a personal way? Second question, by way of application. Do you make use of the light God has given you? Do you want more? Now, some have said, God's not going to reveal more truth to you until you use what he's already given you. Well, I don't think you can, just in a mechanical way, lay that down as a law. But I think it is a general spiritual truth that God doesn't jump all of the knowledge of him on us all at once. And as we take what he reveals from the scripture and begin to apply it, maybe it's something we need to repent of and turn from. Maybe it's something we need to begin to do. Certainly a new way, perhaps, that we need to trust Jesus in various circumstances in our lives then we begin to grow and God is able to reveal more to us as we become more mature and as we grow more mature in our faith. You make use of the light that God has given you to trust in Jesus as your Savior, as the one who's paid it all, as the one who is your righteousness before the Father, to put to use the light, the truth God has given you, to begin to obey Him, to work out His Lordship in your life and in your family and in your work in your avocations, your recreations, to bring the Lordship of Christ to bear in those areas. Ultimately, what does it mean to understand a parable of Jesus? Well, it doesn't mean just a mental understanding of the components of it. Ultimately, it is a heart response to Christ in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. Thank you for this, this passage that we've looked at. And Father, I pray that uh, we would grow in a deeper understanding of the parables as we look at them. Uh, Father, in a, in, a, in a deeper understanding of your truth as a whole and a greater love for your truth, an increasing hunger for your word, to think about it, to read it, to learn it, to study it, to hear it taught, to hear it preached, to read books about it. Uh, Father, most of all, we pray this to the end, that we would love you more. That we would trust in Jesus more. And that we would want to obey you better. And we ask it in his name. Amen.